Welcome to IFL Science The Big Questions, the podcast where we invite the experts to explore the biggest mysteries of science with your host, Dr. Alfredo Carpinetti. Regular computers affect every aspect of our lives. They have brought forth a revolution in the way we communicate and live. But even the most powerful supercomputer has its limits. Scientists and engineers have found a path beyond those limits thanks to quantum mechanics. By using the crucial theory of the micro world, computation can take a big leap forward. But how does a quantum computer work? And how will they change the world? To answer this question, we're joined by Professor Winfried Ensinger, Professor of Quantum Technology at the University of Sussex. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Okay, uh, th thank you for inviting me. Uh, so my name is Winfried Hensing. I'm a professor of quantum technologies at the University of Sussex. I'm leading a research group there to build trap, uh, practical trapped iron quantum computers. I'm the director of the Sussex Center for Quantum Technologies. And also, and with my other 50%, I'm chief scientist and chairman of a quantum computing company, Universal Quantum, that works on actually building and constructing practical quantum computers with trapped ions. Wonderful. Thank you very much. So I think you are uh, perfect to answer all our burning questions about quantum computers. And I think we'll um, start from the, the simplest. How does a quantum computer work? So first of all, let, let me say quantum computers work entirely different to conventional computers and, and they work because of a very, very strange uh, theory in, in, in physics called quantum physics and, and quantum co physics is extremely counterintuitive, weird, uh, Einstein referred to it as spooky, so it's certainly something what we don't see in our daily life and, and one of the things in, in quantum physics is that that things can be at two different places at the same time. So an electron can go through two slits at the same time and interfere with itself. So, so things like that happen in quantum physics and they really spooked and really freaked out uh, physicists and scientists uh, for, for many, many years and actually still do. But, but um, so maybe 20 years ago, physicists tried to think, can we actually chain these very strange phenomena in order to build technologies that can change the way we work and live. And, and, and one of these technologies is a quantum computer that can solve certain problems where even the fastest supercomputer might take billions of years to solve for. So it, it's really a machine that isn't there like to just do your word processing or it isn't there to, to kind of do things a little bit faster, but, but to it can solve certain problems uh, that would literally be completely unsolvable. And even the fastest computer, and even the fastest computer in another five years of, 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 of development. So, and this is kind of what makes quantum computers a very, very disruptive, we call it, disruptive technology, because it changes everything. It's, 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 think of it as like Google's search algorithm. So, so when, when many years ago, we used all sorts of search engines to, uh, and, and then Google developed a search algorithm and that kind of then people just went for the search engine because it was so much more powerful than, than everything else. And, and so this is maybe a, some, some good explanation. 
Yeah, absolutely. So the technology, as you described, is disruptive, uh, is going to push on things that we can't normally do with computers or even supercomputers. Is that why we need quantum computers? Is it because um, what we could uh, potentially harness is way beyond what uh, our standard approach uh, can deliver? So I guess our standard ap approach is very capable and useful for certain things. So for example, um, for your word processing, for mm -hmm. solving many uh, applications to get your tickets at the train station, um, standard computers are, are perfectly fine. But one of the things which is very important for you to know is that quantum physics is the underlying theory that governs really a lot of things around us. It governs, for example, the connectivity of a material uh, it, it governs the strength of a material. It, it governs how we can maybe create a new pharmaceutical and a new drug. Like so, quantum physics is a is is a really really all encompassing theory. There there is, however, a big problem, and that is as soon as you're trying to solve the equations of quantum physics, then if your system, uh, if you look at any kind of realistic system, that actually a normal computer isn't capable of solving these equations anymore. And so what you have to do is you have to bring in a lot of approximations, which in a way then defeat these equations altogether. And that means we have actually have to go in the laboratory and, and do experiments. And, and it takes 10 years to develop a new pharmaceutical because you have to, you can't just program this on a computer and, and, and just solve it. But, the, but computers are simply not powerful enough. And so this is where, where quantum computers come in. So, so because quantum computers operate such as nature, so according to the same physical principles, they enable us to solve exactly some of these really, really interesting problems. And so they enable us to gain a whole different understanding of nature, of the world around us, because they allow us to then simulate the world somewhat exactly as it actually works under the hood, how a material behaves or how, how any of the interesting things that you'd like to understand how how does that work under the hood a quantum computer can simulate that that is fascinating so if i'm getting this correctly we're actually harnessing quantum mechanics the quantum world to understand the quantum world this is exactly right and this is why it makes perfect sense i shouldn't have to convince anybody of the usefulness of a quantum computer because exactly as you say, we literally using the quantum world to simulate a quantum world. But that's not everything. So, so this is for me personally why I'm most enthusiastic and decided 20 years ago, I'm just going to build a quantum computer and I will not rest until that has happened. But there are some other algorithms that actually are built on the strangeness of quantum physics, but can help us to do other things like optimize things, for example, break encryption. So there's algorithms that enable us to factorize a really large number. And you ask yourself, why would anybody want to factorize a large number? So if I ask you to factorize nine, you can do that in your head. It's three times three, right? But why would you want to factorize a large number? It turns out factorizing a large number enables you to break all current encryptions. For example, if you, you need to put your credit card details on the internet, then by breaking this encryption will require you to factorize a very large number. And there's an algorithm for quantum computers that can actually do this very efficiently and much faster than a, a conventional computer. And so this is 
one example where, where a quantum computer has an algorithm that enables it to solve a real world problem. There's other real world problems a quantum computer can be really good in. So we are uh, a quantum computer algorithm can uh, um, solve um, the cryptography, but I'm assuming we can also make things uh, uh, sort of protected uh, with quantum computers, not just uh, hacking. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't, I shouldn't say quantum computer solves it breaks cryptography. Yes, it, it, it um, there, there is quantum cryptography, which is actually mm -hmm. uh, very different to quantum computers, and that is a, a means to use the laws of physics to transmit information truly secures where where wow. your security is backed by the laws of physics by by quantum physics actually and and that type of encryption can't even be broken by a quantum computer either because you're really safe by the laws of physics so that's something where where really quantum phys physics can help that is fantastic Obviously, there is a lot of potential, and there are uh, several examples of uh, um, working quantum computers still with their own limitations. Uh, there is uh, um, IBM at Google, uh, Japan has recently unveiled their own uh, quantum computers. Many countries are working, many universities are working in creating quantum computers. But there are still major challenges to make the quantum computer that can solve all this problem a reality. Why is it taking so long to make progress? What are these challenges? Right, very important to understand where we are actually with quantum computers. Mm -hmm. and let me start by, you could right now go on the internet and you can lock yourself into a quantum computer, um, an IBM quantum computer, for example, and you can actually play with that machine. Now, the only challenge or the only issue with that is that the quantum computers we, which we have nowadays, they're very small scale quantum computers. They can have a handful of, of qubits, maybe 50 or 100. That's the limit. Nobody's built quantum computers more powerful enough. Now, what you should know is that many of the really interesting applications of a quantum computer actually require not hundreds, not thousands, but hundreds, thousands or millions of qubits. And so, and so this is what you have to realize when wanting to solve really, really interesting problems. You need a much more powerful quantum computers that quantum, quantum computer that can host many more qubits. And so there's different technologies, different hardware platforms in order to build such a machine. And you've named already one of these hardware platforms, uh, superconducting qubits. And so that's the hardware platform which is used by IBM and Google at the moment. And that has been a very, very successful hardware platform, but it comes with one big challenge. And that challenge is that um, you need to cool that machine, the microchip, all the way to absolute zero, so to millikelvin temperatures. So that's minus 273 degrees Celsius. But at such a temperature, the cooling power, so the ability to cool a large object is actually very limited. So even the very best refrigerators have only the ability to provide microwatts of cooling power. Now, just to, what is a microwatt? Like, you, you now would, for example, maybe um, your light bulb has at home how much watts that has, as like as, as a few watts, as 10 watts. And so these refrigerators have only microwatts of cooling power. And because you can't have much cooling power at a temperature, it means it will be very challenging to scale such a quantum computer 
to the required number of, of qubits to solve some of these really, really important industry problems. And so what we've done at University of Sussex and at, in, in the company Universal Quantum is utilize a different hardware platform. And, and here we use charged individual atoms or ions. And so these atoms are held on a silicon microchip, just my, like my hand. And so the, the, each ion levitates above the microchip. Now, the really cool thing about this technology is actually it's a room temperature technology. And we are using a slight cooling, but we do that actually for the classical electronics, just as like you have to cool your conventional computer when you overdrive it. And so we cool this uh, microchip slightly, but at, at the cooling temp, uh, at the temperature we cool it to, we have hundreds of watts of cooling power. So compare microwatts, 10 to the minus six watts, with, with 10 to the three watts. So that tells you something about the ability to scale that to large qubit numbers. And this is something, scaling is really so important for quantum computers. You asked the question, so when will we have real quantum computers and when will they work for us? And, and to answer your question, I really need to talk about how do we get to these really large qubit numbers? Just actually a few weeks ago, we reported a really, really big demonstration that takes us on that on the road to achieve that. And what we managed to do is we connected two microchips using electric field links. So we actually put them close together and we, we connected these microchips using electric fields and we were, we were then able to transport individual qubits or individual atoms from one, from one microchip to another microchip. And we did that both with such speed and with such a small error that it will enable us to actually build large-scale quantum computers that don't just have 100 or 1,000 qubits, but it enables us to really build large-scale quantum computers that could have 100,000 or a million or tens of millions of qubits. And so coming back to your question, this is what we need to do right now in building quantum computers. We need to come up with innovative solutions of how to scale these tiny proof-of-principle machines to qubit numbers that are required to, to run some of these really, really interesting industry applications on, on quantum computers. And so this is what I'm extremely passionate about. All my career at the University of Sussex in 2018, we founded this company. And the headline of all what we do here at Sussex, that all what we do at Universal Quantum is to devise solutions that really enable us to build practical quantum computers that are powerful enough to solve some of these really, really interesting industry applications. And we do that by enabling to scale to large qubit numbers. So I think uh, just a couple more questions. And I think the next one will have to be, you're now, I'm assuming, testing, uh, scaling this up. You're testing, asking, what is the timeline that you envision? So I guess the really exciting news is now that we're getting now kind of from a phase where people in, in research groups did small proof of principle experiments to now a time where we employ some of the very, very best engineers to come up with technology solutions that are, that are scale. So, so just to give you a feeling, so when you have your laptop, I guarantee you that chip in your laptop is not built by a PhD student in a university research facility. If that would be the case, we probably wouldn't be on this call right now because yeah, there would be something wrong with your 
computer chip right now, your, your computer would be constantly in repair or something. Um, your computer chip is made in, in a foundry, in a silicon foundry, where all the processes are so perfect and, and accurate in order to allow you to scale this chip in such a way that it becomes fully reliable. And so for me personally, I, this is a very similar thing in my journey to build quantum computers. So I started in 2005 and, and I said, I'm definitely going to build quantum computers. And I started doing that in the research group where we did small proof of principle experiments with just a couple of qubits in order to then demonstrate that all the physical phenomena that we predict uh, will be required in a quantum computer actually do work. And so we've ticked off a lot of these these kind of demonstrations. And now, then in 2018, we said, okay, now let's do this properly. And so we started a company. And so the company now works with foundries, with places which make these silicon microchips really professionally. And we have some of the very best engineers from all around the world. So I'm immensely proud to work with some of these really, really, truly amazing people uh, to actually really design and engineer microchips that scale to large qubit numbers. And, and so this is where we are right now with building practical quantum computers. Now these machines are in industrial production. So it doesn't mean like next year you're going to have at home uh, in your basement or under your desk a quantum computer. There's still integrating all the engineering challenges will take time and it's also very costly. So you have to really working with a foundry like that, like doing some of these engineering tasks costs a lot of money. And so this is another reason why you can't really do this as a university research group. There's no grants available sufficiently large to do something like that. So you really have to get a company to do that. And so in the company, what we're doing now is we build the first test machines where we're going to integrate all the engineering into a single machine. And, and I'm, I'm super proud to, to, to tell you that just recently we've been awarded by the German Space Agency, one of the largest ever government contracts in the world to build two demonstrator machines based on the technology I've, I've been telling about. And, and so we built them now in, in Hamburg. And so there's going to be two machines which are going to have all the specifications to really show customers, users of quantum computers, that all these concepts really work and they can be all integrated in a single machine. And so that's the first step. And beyond that, then we're going to go and go to scales to build more of these silicon quantum computing modules, add them together, as I mentioned before, by, by making electric field links. And even the machines we built in Hamburg, we're already going to demonstrate and show off some of these, this really cool electric field link technology and able to scale this up. So now people always ask me, so when are we going to have a useful quantum computer? And I'm always going to reply with my same answer. I'm going to ask them, so when do you think did you have the first useful conventional computer? So that's my, my, my question. I immediately shoot back. And some really clever people then uh, have to think quite, quite some time and think, mm, when was that? Some people say like in the 60s. But the really clever people who looked history, actually, they say, actually, it was 1945. Because 1945, the English arguably decided Second World War by building a first computer that could break German Enigma code. And that was arguably a reason why they could win this world war. And so you can see in 1945, we have the first high impact application of a conventional computer. Now, when I grew up in the 1970s, I learned typewriting on a machine typewriter. I didn't have a, a computer at home because 
computers got to all of us much later. They got like in, in the early 80s or something, people started, everybody started to have a computer. So, so you can see that if I would have asked the question, when did we have the first computer? If I asked myself, it would have been in the 80s. If I asked an historian, they would have said 1945. You really have to qualify that question for what applications? For, for calculating um, projectiles or for, for breaking encryptions, we had a classical computer 1945 to build um, for me to do my word processing or to get a ticket at a train station, certainly not uh, even in the 70s. So, so the same thing applies to co quantum computers. So what we're going to see is like in the next five or 10 years, we're going to see the first, one first useful application for a quantum computer. And that might be a really, really high impact application that will change certainly everything, maybe in one particular industry sector. And then we're going to build more powerful quantum computers. And not just that we're going to build more powerful quantum computers, but we also work on the algorithms, so on the software, because that's equally important for quantum computer. The way how quantum computers work is by making use of these very strange quantum phenomena. And in order to really fully capitalize on these phenomena, the software has to work in one particular way in order to really enable you to make full use of that. And so for every problem you want to solve with a quantum computer, you don't just have to have a quantum computer, you also have to have the right software that you also need to develop. And so what we're going to see over the next five or 10 years is people are going to more and more develop the software. So as a company, for example, we work now together with others in the first quantum computing operating system. We work with theorists and on solving really important problems, like, for example, simulating the Fimoka molecule. So that's an example that we've just recently worked on. Fimoka molecule is important for nitrogen fixation, and nitrogen fixation is really important when you want to make fertilizer. And it turns out 2% of the world's energy is right now being used for making fertilizer. If you can make nitrogen fixation a little bit more efficient, imagine how much energy you can save. So that's one problem for a quantum computer. Now, we've just done a lot of work trying to exactly understand what is the resources required for that. And now we can build machines for that purpose. I'll give you another example. So we work right now with Rolls-Royce towards building quantum computers that are capable of developing better aircraft engines, so more fuel-efficient aircraft engines. And so this is all about fluid dynamics. And so using quantum computers to really simulate the flows, flows within inside a, a, such, such an engine, and that will have a big impact. But we first not need to start understanding what's required, the resources required, and then we're going to streamline the development of the machines so we get there and maybe hopefully get there a little bit quicker than if we wouldn't have prepared ourselves for this particular application. And so you're just going to see more and more applications like this coming through one after the other. If we're going to have this interview in two years, in five years, or in 10 years' time again, so there will be a much more powerful quantum computer out there than there is now, but there will be still many applications for quantum computers that are completely inaccessible by the machines we will have available then. And so we're always going to make more powerful machines, but I think the first really cool and really interesting applications we're going to see in a timescale of five or 10 years. And then in 20 years, they're going to be yet another array of really interesting applications that will slowly grow as the performance of these machines becomes more and more powerful. That was fantastic. 
And I guess leaves us with uh, our last question, the big question. Uh, you have already answered with many examples. Maybe you can give us uh, uh, another one. How can quantum computers change the world? You have described uh, that all this application from um, more efficient engines, more efficient uh, uh, creation of fertilizer, pharmaceutical technology is anything more that we can expect by these machines? So, so when I give lectures sometimes, I, I use a very old newspaper article again about conventional computers. Mm -hmm. and, and the authors say in that newspaper article, when they talked about first computers, they said like, look, the mathematician said there are no problems complex enough for a computer to be needed. And so engineer said, some of the problems are way too hard to be ever solved. And famously, I don't know whether it's true, but I've heard that the head of IBM once said there's a world market for four computers. So, and that man was a very smart person. So really like he was on the on the very front and on the edge of, of, re, on, on, of really building this technology. And so the reason why I'm telling you that is because when technology grows, we are extremely naive about what that technology actually can do. So, so we are very much in, in the baby steps right now of building these machines. And, and it's absolutely certain that we only just start to scratch the surface of the true capability of the, these machines. The same way as in 1945, we didn't know anything of what conventional computers would do. We also didn't know it in the 1970s. I have, I have a watch right now in my hand with which I can pay. I, I can even make a phone call with my watch. Now, if I would have, I, I just said this to my mom and she can believe it. Like she said, what do you mean you have a watch you can make a phone call with? Like, so, so what I'm trying to say is like, don't expect or think that we are somehow so smart and even people on, on the very front of quantum computing, they can actually predict what quantum computers can do. I can tell you right now what algorithms are known. I can tell you right now my assumption of maybe how far it will take us to these uh, applications. But I can equally tell you that a good friend of mine told me not so long ago that even five or ten years ago, he couldn't even get a job at a university when he said you're going to develop quantum algorithms because nobody even felt you can, that's worthwhile because people didn't think you can build such machine. So, so in the next five or ten years, you will going to see plenty of new applications. And, and when we talk now about like simulating molecules or drug discovery or breaking encryptions, 10 years time, we're going to talk about plenty more things and plenty of different things. So, so quantum computers are a very, very powerful new tool. Think of it that way. And it's in our hands what we can do with it. Like, I think probably for me, the, from an intuitive point of view, the most amazing thing about a quantum computer and that will help us getting a grasp of what, what is there in the future is the fact that quantum computers can simulate nature as it is, according to the very underlying phenomena and, and equations, it is actually governed. And that's a very, very powerful thing. If you can understand the world around you and simulate it exactly using such a machine, you can only start to imagine the consequence of the type of understanding, knowledge and grasp you can obtain for a lot of different things. Maybe we can uh, using quantum computers, understand how we can make a room temperature superconductor. Imagine that type of energy savings you, you could get with that. Biological systems are very, very hard to understand because rather than working on a similar, single atomic basis, you have to have these much bigger systems that are extremely hard to simulate. Quantum computers may hold an answer of, of some of these questions, even in biology. 
some some people say you might be able to simulate a protein folding and that may that may help us understand um, the reason for dementia or things like that. Now, what I don't want you to think about is that a quantum computer is some kind of magical wonder machine. And once we have one, we just press a button and it just can solve all the problems. Not quite the opposite. A quantum computer is an extremely powerful tool, but you need to develop how to use that. Um, you need to understand the algorithms. So, so there's a lot of work required and you're gonna see using this really, really powerful tool a lot of different applications. And we already understand right now that these applications range, range from the financial sector, from the chemical industry, from the pharmaceutical industry, optimizations, image recognition, quantum machine learning. So you can see like literally any sector will somewhat be affected by quantum computers, but not immediately, but it will slowly happen. And we see already now banks working very closely with quantum computing companies, insurances working with quantum computing companies, car manufacturers, even rail companies work with quantum computing companies in order to make better timetabling. So you can see like this is going to go everywhere, but it will happen gradually, but it will be extremely exciting future. And and, and maybe personally, I, I have something else about quantum computers, which is, 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 is close to my heart. So when I was very young in primary school, I took a decision in primary school that I was going to be science officer on the enterprise. So that was, I think, <laughs> in grade three or grade four. And, and so then... I asked my mom, so what do I need to study to be science officer and on the enterprise? And, and so my mom said, it's probably going to be physics or astronomy. And so I'm one of the few people who took my the decision to what degree I take already like in primary school. And the reason why I took that decision, because I was blown away by some of the strangeness that science would hold. And I think quantum computers and quantum technology in general holds a similar a fascination for people who learn about it. Like that an object, if I do something to an object here in my office that can instantaneously affect something that is on the other end of the universe, this is entanglement. This kind of strangeness really affects people when they hear about that and they really appreciate the, ama the amazingness of quantum physics. And, and so I think quantum computers are a really, really powerful tool to infuse people that studying STEM subjects, that exploring the world, exploring entanglement, superposition, just one of the really coolest things. And, and, and science is by no means at an end. We're just getting started to just explore some of the really cool things. And so I can say to everybody who listens to this right now, if you are just about to think, should I do a STEM subject at school? Should I enroll in physics or chemistry? Don't think this is all done and it's all the boring stuff your teacher tells you about. It's actually really cool stuff. It's entanglement, it is teleportation, we do teleportation, we can do teleportation in our lab right now with individual atoms. All that cool stuff you've heard about in some sci-fi films, many of that stuff is actually true and you can work on that. And, and so this is, I feel some of the, some something with quantum technologies and quantum computing really exposes the, the, the amazing magic and, and the tremendous potential in getting people infused in, in, in engaging with sciences. Thank you so much for the deep explanation about everything quantum computers. Thank you so much for your enthusiasm, for both uh, making us realistic about uh, the time scale of uh, quantum computers uh, and 
Thank you for giving us all this awful energy about uh, studying STEM subjects. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It was, it was really, really a joy. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's, as most, it's, it's really the coolest time to be in quantum computing. I couldn't be more enthusiastic about it. It's really amazing stuff we do every day in the lab. Wonderful. And I think the last thing I can say is uh, live long and prosper. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> you too. <laughs> thank you. Quantum computers have immense potential, but challenges still remain before that potential is realized. Clearly, it is an exciting time to be working in this discipline, and we can't wait to see what new breakthroughs will happen in the next few years. Thank you for listening to The Big Questions. Head over to iflscience.com for the latest and greatest science headlines. The music in this episode is credited to audioblocks.com. See you next time.